Now, today we want to start digging into the three uses of money, the three biblical basic uses of money, which we said are give, save, and invest. And we want to focus on principle number two. The title of this message is, Who is your sponsor? Ask your neighbor, who's your sponsor? Some people never thought they'd ask that in church. Who's your sponsor? <laughs> Who is your sponsor? All right. So for our reading, I want us to turn to a recording of God's first encounter with the Jews. Uh, the ancestor of the Jews, the forefathers of the Jews, is a man called Abraham. And his first encounter, as we know, is in Genesis chapter 12. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. We want to read the first three verses because that's a first encounter that God had with this person who was going to become these people, who are going to become this great nation. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. And here's what it says. It says, God told Abraham, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. Now, it's very interesting. This guy is living his own life, doing his own thing. He's settled. He's got a father. He's got a home. He's got everything going for him. God tells him, drop everything. And then go, not even knowing where you're going. Go to this place that I will show you. And God tells him why he must do this. Verse 2, he says, I will make you a great nation and bless you. I will make you famous and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I'll curse. And then lastly, he says, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, at first glance, this, to me, at least, sounds rather unfair. Why would God go throughout the whole earth, bypass everybody else who was living at that time, go to a random country called Mesopotamia? Did you even know that's where Abraham was? Have you even heard of that? <laughs> Mesopotamia. He goes to Mesopotamia, finds this guy called Abraham, and then he tells him, I mean, basically, what is he telling him? He's telling him, I'll make you rich and famous. I'll make, you, I'll, I'll, I'll make your kids great. I'll bless your friends. And anyone who is your enemy, I will sort out. I mean, think about, why did God do this in Mesopotamia? Why not in China? Because China was a big established uh, civilization. Why didn't he do it to some random woman in America? Because the Native Americans, they had civilizations at that point. Why didn't he do it to one of our ancestors in Wakanda? Mm. Or you didn't think there were Africans at that time? There were. There were great civilizations. Have you heard of Zimbabwe? There was a great civilization in Zimbabwe at that time. There was a great civilization in Egypt at that time. By the way, I don't know if you know this. I had a shocking revelation, revelation one day. I walked through the, the, the Museum of Egypt. How will you know if I don't tell you that I go places, isn't it? So, so I was walking through the Museum of Egypt, and I saw one of the pharaohs, uh, a, a display of one of the pharaohs wealth, the, the wealth that was recovered from one of the tombs of the pharaohs. And that day I had a revelation like I never had before. I was the only African among the group I was with. And we're walking through, and everybody's talking, and my tongue had gone. Because they had pictures, not of people drawn afterwards. The pictures they pulled out of the tombs, and the statues they pulled out of that tomb of the Pharaoh, and every single person in that tomb, the pictures, was black. 
Everybody was talking, and I'm thinking, nobody told me these guys were black. The pharaohs were black. And everybody's talking. I'm looking at those guys, the Arabs, showing off the, their culture. I'm thinking, this is not your culture. These guys were black. I wanted to just shout, stop somebody. All oh, these guys were. So, so, so why didn't God go to some black guy? Uh, what's wrong with black people? Oh, you can't ask such questions in the Bible. Yeah, why, why didn't God go to somebody like that guy? But you know, it's interesting as you look closer at the reading that you begin to discover something unique. That God blessed Abraham so that through this one person, verse 3 tells us, all the families of the earth would be blessed. In other words, Abraham wasn't being blessed because he was all that. He was being blessed to be a conduit of all that for the sake of the rest of the world. He was blessed to be a blessing. And here's the thing we learn from this passage, that with privilege comes responsibility. Now, it's, 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 it's interesting because the Jews, they understand this very well. They understand this principle of responsibility very well. Uh, in the Bible, you understand that the Jews treated their firstborns very differently. There's something about firstborns. Firstborns were special in the Bible. And they were always dedicated to God. If you read the Bible, you're going to find a verse like Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 15 to 17. tells you something very unique. Firstborns always got a double portion of the inheritance. I mean, it's very, it's very crazy. You read this, Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 15 to 17. Just put that up. It says, uh, no, no, not that one. The other one. <laughs> 21, verse 15. Deuteronomy 21, verse 15. Let me read it for you as they find it. It's a very interesting story. It says, if a man has two wives, and he loves one but not the other, and both bear him sons, but the firstborn son is the son of the wife he does not love. Are you with me? Are you tracking? So he's got two wives. They both bear sons. The firstborn, he doesn't like that first wife, but she has a firstborn son. He likes the second wife, and she has sons, but not the firstborn. So he says in verse 16, and he wills his property to his sons. He must not give the right of the firstborn to the son of the wife he loves in preference to his actual firstborn, the son of the wife he does not love. He must acknowledge the son of his unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has. That son is a first sign of his father's strength and the right of the firstborn belongs to him. Now, again, it's very interesting. Firstborns get a double portion. Sounds unfair, isn't it? Firstborns in the house? Any firstborns in the house? Firstborns are like, I knew it. I knew it. There's something they were not telling me. I deserved more than I got from those siblings of mine. Anybody not feeling that firstborn story at all? It's like, what's up with this first? They're already entitled enough. Don't blow up their heads more than they already are blown up. But you know, it's not favoritism. It's not discrimination. There's a very practical reason why firstborns had to get the double portion. And I'll tell you why. If something ever happened to the father of the home, and he was no longer there to provide for his family, the firstborn son had not only to provide for his own family, but now he took charge of the father's family. 
And so he had two families to look after. He had two sets of responsibility. And that was his job. It was expected of him. And so for the first one, there was a sense where, yes, there was privilege. But the privilege came because of responsibility. With privilege, responsibility. You know, this theme carries out through the whole of Scripture. And when you begin to discover some of the things about firstborn in Scripture, you begin to understand, oh my goodness, there's something going on here. Jesus Christ himself is referred to as the firstborn of God's children. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, it tells us that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It's interesting that Jesus, he came to earth, why? To look and to take responsibility over all the Father's children, isn't it? He came to represent the family and to reconcile all the children back to their father. He was taking care of the father's business. And he's a firstborn. And we see him displaying the responsibility of a firstborn when he walks on earth. You know, it's very interesting. I mean, you read the stories. There's so many stories of Jesus being a firstborn. There's one great one in Matthew chapter 14, verse 14 to 21. And you can read it later, but just note it because it's a great story for you to read. I wish we had time to go through every scripture. And he's in that space where the Bible tells us that he feeds. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. You remember that story? And the 5,000 were men. So they say, look, besides women and children as well. So it could have been 10,000. It could have been more. But there's this huge crowd. And it's getting late. And Jesus says to his disciples, uh, you, know, you know, give this guy something to eat. The disciples, say, in fact, they're the ones who come to Jesus and say, it's getting late. Send them away so they can go and feed themselves. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. What is he saying? He's saying, take firstborn responsibility. You've seen the need. Do something. The disciples are like, eh, we don't have anything. That would take three months salary to feed these people. We don't have that kind of money. Jesus says, let me show you something. He says, what do you have? And they find five loaves and two fish. And what does Jesus do? He prays over the five loaves. He multiplies it. And he feeds the whole crowd and he demonstrates to them this is what firstborns do they take responsibility with privilege comes responsibility we must be willing to embrace the responsibility of a firstborn before we receive the double portion inheritance of the firstborn i don't want to rush too quickly but i, I want you to track with me because this stuff like i told you <laughs> we really must get to the root of why it is that we've learned this stuff over the years, but we still end up doing contrary to what God is calling us to do as God's people and why we remain in chains while God's desire is for us to be free. Modern Jews, they understand the responsibility of the first one. It's been said that Jews are the most philanthropic group in the US by far. <laughs> They ended up giving, in 1997, I remember the last figure I could find, they gave $4.5 billion towards works outside themselves. Now, those are the kind of amounts that governments give, isn't it? That's what governments give for foreign aid. They gave that as the people, the 7 million Jews in the U.S., that's what they gave for, for, to help others. Jews were taught, and the scripture teaches them, that Giving, you don't give to people because you feel pity for them. You don't give to the poor or to less fortunate people because you feel pity for them. You give them because it's the right thing to do. There's a, an, an interesting word. The word for charity 
among the Jews, it's a Hebrew word. It, 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 I'll pronounce it and you know, you know that word. If you know Swahili, you know that word. Because the word is sedaka. Sedak. And that word really means giving. Giving of alms. But the base word for that word sedaka is zedek, which is justice. You're doing justice. So you don't give somebody because you say, oh my goodness, that guy is so poor. My goodness, here's a few coins. You say, no, 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 no. This is wrong that he is there. It is right for me to lift you up. God has blessed me so I can bless you. That's how they think about wealth. And, as a, and this is what the scripture has taught them. And it's interesting because apart from giving to the poor, Jews are among the largest contributors in the U.S. to universities, to libraries, to hospitals, to museums, to symphonies, to orchestras, to the things that benefit the rest of society. In other words, they do what governments do as individual Jews. It's interesting. You have to ask yourself, are these guys, do these guys give because they're rich? Or is it perhaps they're rich because they give? Because sometimes people think, okay, let, when I get as rich as a Jew, <laughs> are you hearing what I'm saying? When I have money, I'll do it. But here you've got this small minority of people who <laughs> just uh, 60 years ago were being annihilated. I mean, a genocide against them. They, they have every right to be holding on to their own things and to be saying, these are our things and everybody hates us and nobody. And what are they doing? They're doing governmental things. They're doing firstborn things. They're blessing others. Because you see, they understand that with, with, with privilege comes responsibility. Now, why am I saying all this? You must know the reason I'm saying all this is because I want to paint a contrast. There's a great writer who I really enjoy. He's very controversial. He's a Nigerian. He's called Chika Onyani. He's written some interesting books. But in one of his books, um, he states that the African... I was, I, was gonna, I was wondering whether I should, it's actually okay for me to say the title of that book in a church. But it's called The Capitalist Nigger. That's what he, that's what he said. God forgive me, I remove that word right now. I just, I just wanted you to know the reference of the book. He says that African immigrants are among the most educated immigrant group in America. He says actually they're the most, they're by far, they're, they're more educated than Asian immigrants. More educated than Hispanic immigrants. The African immigrants are the most educated immigrant group. And yet, despite having such a strongly educated class, both abroad and locally, because he says even Africans locally, they have a, they have, they have a, in, in Africa, they have a very educated senior class. He says the lack of moral accountability among African elites means that whenever we have money in our hands, we use it to make our lives better. That's what Africans do when they get money. We use it to make whose life better? Our life better. I mean, you read, did you read this last week that Kenya is among one of the highest countries in the world with money in offshore havens? That Kenyans are holding money that is three times our national debt. Three times. 15 trillion stored outside. Who is that money for? This is the African mentality, isn't it? A Kenyan is holding billions of dollars outside the country. It will never help anybody in his country. But he feels, it's for me. It's for me. 
And of course, we can point at them, but how different are we? We may not have billions, but the ones we have, it's for who? It's for me. And he says, the result of our consumptive lifestyles is a continent that remains in economic enslavement because everybody thinks it's someone else's job to look after those in need. This is what he says. You know, for us, as African Christians, we must begin to turn this equation around. We must begin to understand the role of the firstborn. There's a great, um, when you read church history, you're going to find that in church history, wherever the gospel went, there was economic uplifting and freedom. If you, it starts, by the way, from the time Moses said to the Jews in, 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 uh, who had come out of slavery, and he said, there shall be no poor among you in Deuteronomy. He says, there shall be no poor among you. From the time he said that, the church in Acts, they took that literally. And the Bible says there were no poor among them. Because when people had, they blessed others and lifted up others. And you find that every point in church history after that, for the decades, the, the centuries after that, everywhere the church went, economic empowerment began to happen. It's interesting, I was in Norway recently, and I, that is one of the most wealthy countries I've ever been to. They have a, a sovereign fund. You know what a sovereign fund is? A sovereign fund is like a bank account for the people. A sovereign fund, the biggest in the world, it's a trillion dollars. That sovereign fund guarantees that you get, I think, a year of maternity leave as a woman. When you get a baby, you go home. In fact, I don't know if it was a year or, two, or 14 months. You just go and sleep with your baby. And somebody else will look after the country. It means that if you're sick, there's insurance for you. It means that, I mean, they've got a trillion. Do you even know how many zeros? I can't even count a trillion. That's a lot of zeros. And, you know, it was interesting that when I read the history of the nation, I read about an evangelist. His name was Hans Nielsen Hoggy. And he worked his way preaching the gospel in a desperately poor country called Norway. And he preached his way from one desperately poor village in the 17th century, not a long time ago, from one poor village to the other. Everywhere he went, he planted a church. And everywhere he went, he trained people on business principles. And they started little village economics. And they started little manufacturing as they went along. And everywhere the gospel went in Norway, economic prosperity began to happen. It's not just Norway, it's across the whole of Scandinavia. In Switzerland, uh, a man called John Calvin, a much more famous church reformer, he did exactly the same thing. He preached the gospel, but he also began to raise up people economically. People began to understand how God wants them to use money. People began to understand how to use resources well. And it's interesting because at that point, they came up with even what is called today the Protestant work ethic. In other words, people are not just taught how to pray hard. Work ethic doesn't mean that they kesha the whole night. It means that the rest of the day after they've kesha, they know how to work hard. And this is what began to happen in Europe. I don't know if you've ever heard people say, have you ever heard people in this country ask the question, how come the most secular countries in the world are the ones that are the most rich? Have you ever heard people say that? Usually what they're saying is, look at Kenyans, we're praying so much and we're poor. How come the most secular guys are the ones who have money? In other words, faith really makes people poor. That's what they're trying to say. In fact, as recently as last week, I read an article by David Ndee, a renowned economist in this country, and he said, he asked exactly the same question. And here's the thing that I want to say, that that question actually is an ignorant statement. Because these nations were not secular when they got rich. They became secular after they got money and they forgot about God. Does, does that make sense? So whenever somebody tells you, oh, how come the rich guy? None of them were secular. 
These countries were uplifted because, many times, because of their faith and their Christian values. So someone tell me today, if this is the truth, why has Africa not prospered despite the spread of the gospel? Because the gospel is spreading fast in Africa. It's one of the fastest spreads ever known. Why is it that despite the spread of the gospel, Africa is one of the poorest continents in the world? In fact, it is the poorest continent in the world. Of the world's poorest 40 nations, two-thirds are in Africa. <laughs> Eight out of ten of the poorest ten countries are in Africa. Why is it, and by the way, it's not the Muslim countries. <laughs> Why is it that there's so much poverty with the spread of Christianity? The growth of Christianity has not helped us to break the chains of poverty. In fact, it seems to have accentuated and made things even harder for people. And I say that the huge reason for this is that many times as Africans we have the wrong money idea. We receive the gospel but we don't understand that the gospel has an economic idea about money. There's a way that the gospel also addresses finances and that we must think differently about our money. You know, one of the big things for us is that we tend to be driven by fear. Fear drives our, our money, our policies about money. What do we do? We always ask, if I give, what will I eat? If I give, who provide for my family? If I give, what about tomorrow? Isn't it? That's why that guy has a billion dollars in an offshore account in New Jersey, in, in the Jersey Islands. Why? If I, what about next, the next generation? Why else? Why else would a guy die with a billion shillings in account? Isn't it? He's thinking, what about my grandchildren? Who will provide for them? That's the, that's the reason. He, it's driven by fear. We're driven by fear. And as a result, we have become recipients of other people's charity as Africans. We think it's someone else's job to solve the world's problems and even our own problems. It should be the government. Naomba Serikali. It should be the NGO, the UN, maybe that company with a big fat corporate account, a CSR account. They're the ones who should come to my village and help the young people who are drunk on the streets because they're dying. And can't the government see that people in our, in our area are suffering? What, what's wrong with this government? Is that how we think as Kenyans? What's wrong with this government? We think it's someone else's problem to come and solve. And it's not my problem because I need to look after myself. Because after all, look how far I've brought myself. This is our deficient money idea. Like Jesus' disciples, we tend to measure our capacity to give based on what we can see in our hands. And what we see looks too little. It's only five loaves and two fish. What can I do with this? But could it be that what we have is not a money problem? Instead, it's an identity problem. Is it possible that as Africans, what we, anybody who has been thinking they have a money problem? You're not going to put up your hand now. Yeah? Anyways, like, the problem I've had is a money problem. Maybe, tell your neighbor, maybe it's not a money problem. Maybe it's an identity problem. That you've not understood what it means to be a firstborn. You've not understood the secret of the double portion inheritance. You've not understood that it is better to give than to receive. And you've not understood that when you give, you indeed do receive. Because the portion of the firstborn is a double portion. I want to just say, 
<laughs> that maybe God is saying to us that we actually have everything we need to meet the needs of those around us and ourselves as well. That is it possible that like Jesus' disciples, if we could just start thinking differently about ourselves, have a different idea about who we are, that perhaps God is just waiting to multiply that thing that we think is little and it is more than sufficient to bless your whole village. That maybe God has blessed you with more than enough education for your whole village to be blessed. And maybe you're walking around thinking, oh my goodness, it's just for me and my little family, me and my two brothers, me and my wife and children. That's what you're thinking, but God created you for much more. And he's just waiting for you to change your view, your thinking about yourself. Somebody answer me a question. Those of you who've read that Bible story, how many loaves, how many baskets of loaves and fishes were left over at the end? Twelve. Why twelve? Come on, Revelation is about to come in. Why twelve? Twelve tribes. Why twelve? There were twelve disciples. So they took their little lunch and they broke it and they gave it all away. And guess how much they were left with? Everybody had a basket for themselves, for their families. For the rest of the month, they could feed themselves. Are you understanding something here? By the way, I'm hoping God can, Lord, open eyes right now. Because Lord, you need to just allow us to understand your revelation. That somehow they thought they'd given it all away. Guess what happened? They each had a basket for themselves. Say to your neighbor, God has a basket for you. He does. He will multiply it. But you need to understand your responsibility. You need to understand why he gave it to you. By the way, when I saw this, I was like, oh my goodness, I've never noticed that. They told Jesus, we don't have enough. It would take three months salary to provide for these people. And Jesus <laughs> took what they had and left them with enough that they each had a full basket for themselves. There's enough left over. By the <laughs> time God finished, blesses you, has blessed your village, there'll be enough left over for you. Don't worry about yourself. That's our God. That's the God we serve. You know, it's possible that we could be our own worst enemies because we don't understand that we're chump, we're clumping down on God's blessings. All we're thinking about is what I don't have. God, if you could just take these five fishes and multiply them so I can eat more. And God is saying, that's not why I gave you those five fishes. You're missing the point. I gave them to you so you can, you can allow me to multiply them and feed your village. You can allow me to multiply them and feed your estate. You can allow me to multiply them and feed the nation of Kenya. Kenya should not have beggars. Kenya should be able to bless neighbors. This is who we're supposed to be if we could understand the calling of the firstborn. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. I am not saying that if you give, you'll be rich. Don't misquote me. In fact, <laughs> I've, got, I've written a little book. <laughs> this, is end up, this is my commercial point. It's called Financial Foundations. And it really talks about the responsibility between tithe and investment. Because those two things are very intertwined. You tithe because you don't want to rob the source of your blessing. Are we together? The reason you tithe is because it would be stupid for you to rob the one who is planning to bless you. It's like you know somebody is about to bless me and then you go and break into his house. What f who, who does that? That's why you tithe. But then you invest because God has promised that when you tithe, he will bless your investments. So if you're not investing, guess what? God blesses nothing. 
a million blessings, a million times zero is what? Is zero. So, so, by the way, I'm, this is not what this someone is not about tithing. It's not even about the how to tithe. If you want to learn more about that, read this book, The Financial Foundations. Uh, it's it's 500 shillings at the back. I actually want to give an offer. If you get this and financial fitness, uh, each of them is 500 shillings, but get both of them for today. You can get them for 900 shillings. So we're going to give you a discount. I really want, I don't want to preach about the how-tos. I want to talk about the whys in this series. And some of you maybe are not, are not up to date with the, with the how-tos. So pick up these books. And I believe, I mean, they're easy reads. Uh, within less than an afternoon, you'll be able to be done with both of them. And I think they'll really be a blessing to you. But here's the thing. Today, I want to talk about the why. This series is about our minds. It's about our thinking. If we can reformat our thinking. And I want to spend my time on how we think. Now, let me just say this. The why is important. The why is important. Why are you trusting God for his money? Why? See, so you're trusting God for money. Why are you trusting God for his money? What's, what's written on the requisition? You know, you come to your employer, you, you want to spend money for the company. What do you do? Requisition, isn't it? What do you write in requisition? Something that is for the benefit of who? Employer, isn't it? If you write to your employer, red shoes with high heels and, 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 and a nice suit, what does your employer tell you? <laughs> you, have, you, you that's exactly what your employer will say, isn't it? What is my return? Invest, how are these red shoes going to help you sell our product, isn't it? What's written on your requisition? Why do you want God to invest in you and in your bank account? What is it that you're asking God for that is a kingdom dream? What is it that you're living for that is bigger than yourself? Why does your business exist apart from looking after your bottom line? That's a great question. If you own your business with your spouse, maybe you should go home and discuss this. Why are we running this business except just to make sure our kids go to school? It's not bad for our kids to go to school. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> when you're an employer, you want your employees' children to go to school, isn't it? Yeah, you do. But you're not employing them so that their kids can go to school. So, so apart from going to school, why am I asking God to bless this business? Why has God given me this prestigious job in addition to making myself comfortable? Why? The why is important. How are you contributing to the work of God's church in reaching your generation? The why is important. You know, as we push ourselves to answer these questions, we'll begin to align ourselves with firstborn blessings. And I think that's what God is saying to us today. Align yourself to firstborn blessings. Tell your neighbor that. Align yourself to firstborn blessings. This is what God is looking for. Because with privilege comes responsibility. He wants us to be firstborns. It's interesting, the book of Hebrews and the book of Revelation, you can Google this for yourself, find those verses. It actually refers to the church, Jesus' church, as the church of the firstborn. In other words, yes, Jesus was the firstborn, but now his church is a church of the firstborns. So every one of us, God is calling us to be his firstborn sons and daughters. The firstborn in his families. You know, I was glad this week, by the way, I don't know if any of you noticed in the newspaper this week, Kenya gave a donation to, to Tanzania because of the ferry victims, to bless the families of the ferry victims. It was, it was, I, was, I almost stood up and gave a standing ovation to the newspaper when I read that. I was like, wow, it was, it was 5.5 million shillings. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't that much, but I was like, what a great beginning. 
That's awesome. By the way, anybody felt proud reading that? We should be. I know there's some people who are thinking, ah, but we even have poor people in our own country. You're not even. That's how, that's how last bones think, isn't it? <laughs> Why aren't you looking after our own needs first? But the first one is like, yes, we need to look after the people around us. I said, may the Lord bless this country so we give 500 million to our neighbors next time. This is my blessing. I bless our government for doing that. We need to be a blessing to, our nation, to the nations around us. I thought about the fact that, you know, we've not always had a good relationship with our neighbors, Tanzania. I thought, what a great gesture that we would bless, bless them in their time of need because it was a time of need for them. You know, it's very interesting. We need to understand how to be firstborns. My prayer for this church is that we would be a firstborn church. This is my prayer for Mavuno Church. My prayer for this church is that when people see the people of this church, when they encounter men and women from this church, they'll say there's something different. This is a generous person. There's something just free about them. They're not caught up. It's not about them. They think about others. This is my prayer. And my prayer is that people would remark about us that there's a spirit of generosity about us. I'm excited, by the way. I, I must commend this campus of Mavuno Church. I'm excited that over the last few months, you brought in some of your nice clothes to give away to people who don't have them. Wow! Pastor Njoro, I want to commend you for that. You have led the church well. Well done. Well done. I walked through the stores, and I looked at some of the clothes you've given. They are good clothes. I got the sense that you're not just going through your wardrobe to see, hey, this one will never be worn again. You know, that you actually picked some stuff that had dignity. And there are people who in this church who are going for jobs, who did not have a suit to go look for a job, and they got a suit because you gave it. Clap for your neighbor. That's awesome. That is fast-born thinking. And let me just say the store is still open. People still are bringing clothes. So continue bringing those clothes. You don't need five suits in your wardrobe. Give away one and bless somebody. We've been able to bless even the poor in our community around us because of those stores. Some of you have been shopping for yourself and even another family. When you're out shopping, you pick up another bag of unga, or you pick some flour, or you pick something, some, some oil, and you've been bringing it to church as well. Praise God for your family. May the Lord continue to increase you as you bless other families around us. We're beginning to practice being firstborns, isn't it? And Pastor Angelo, that's what you're leading us into being, is practicing to be firstborns. Practicing to live for bigger than ourselves. Let me just say this, that I'm praying that we'll be able to establish a community center here at Hill City. It will have a shop where we'll be able to bring multi, like loads and loads of clothes and shoes and, and bicycles from our children and other things that we'll be giving and even TVs because the Lord has convicted you, you bring it and we sell it at a very small price. And the reason we're selling it is because we don't want to, we don't want to spread slavery. You understanding what I'm saying? Because the cultures that brought the gospel, they came because they wanted to be firstborns. But many times they did not liberate us to be firstborns. And so we were left like this, isn't it? We don't want to do that to our community. We'll put a little price tag to it, Pastor Njoro. Just something to, a token. Just for the sake of responsibility and freedom and, and somebody feeling dignified. That you didn't give me that suit, I paid a hundred shillings for it. Or I paid something small for it. And my prayer is that we'll also have a community center here that everybody in the, in, in, in the church and outside the church who needs something, they'll come to that place and find something that meets their need. But in addition to that, I pray it will be a, a training center where some of you will actually bring your skills and train young people in this area in business. Some of you will be able to come and train young ladies, maybe who are pregnant, and teaching them how to look after their children and how, how to live a life that, that has dignity. Some of you will come and be able to bring some of the skills because you are a gifted congregation. Look at your neighbor, they look gifted. 
Do they have a firstborn look about them? There's something God has blessed you that will be a blessing to our neighbors. And my prayer is that Hill City will be famous because of a community center that is a blessing to this whole region. And that we'll become, we will do the work of government because that's what firstborns do. Somebody say amen. This is my prayer. This year I was so proud of Mavuno Church as, as, as a movement that we gave 16 million or, or more towards Spread the Love initiative together as a congregation. Praise God. I think we can appreciate the Lord for that. And we blessed multiple primary schools that were broken down. And we went and painted and we went and donated and we went and gave stuff and time to bless. I'm praying next year we'll give double that. <laughs> I'm praying actually to even be triple that. Because God is beginning to unlock our idea that we are the ones who bless this nation. I want people in the government to ask, what's wrong with these people? I want the, I want the minister of education to just, ask, to just say, there's something wrong with those people. They're doing my job. Why? Because that's what we do. That's what firstborns do. And that's my prayer. That next year, this is part of what we're going to do. We're going to give. And we're going to continue giving. In fact, my prayer is that spread the love will not be one month. It will be the whole year. And one of my challenges for everyone here is that next year, I want to challenge everybody in the Mavuno movement, that every single Mavuno person who calls themselves Mavuno will give at least one hour a month, and that's very little, but at least one hour a month towards blessing people less fortunate than themselves. This is my prayer for everyone here. I'm giving you a New Year's resolution now. This, it's October, November, time for you to plan, isn't it? At least one hour a month that you will do firstborn responsibilities. To the rest of this nation. Come on, somebody can say amen to that. This is the kind of Christianity that God is calling us to. Now, I've learned personally that when you take care of God's business, he takes care of your business. I've learned this. In my own family, we've learned this with Carol. <laughs> we've had an opportunity to see God blessing us as we choose to bless others. One of the things that we do, and I know there are people in this congregation who do the same, so we're not special. But one of the things that we do is that we bless Every year, we take on children in high school who are not our children, and we pay their school fees the entire time that they're in high school. <laughs> and you know what? One of the things that we are convicted about, and we're convinced, and we are, we've seen it to be true, is that our children will never lack school fees as long as we're looking after the children of others. Because the Bible says, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. And I've never been in a place where I've panicked about school fees all these years. Why? Because I know my God will supply my needs. He will look after us as we look after his business. And that's one of the ways we've seen God really coming through for us. And we intend, by the way, to continue growing in the number of children we support. And there are others among you I know in this church who are doing it, and I bless you for it. One of the other things that we've done, I, I shared this uh, last week. I just mentioned it in passing. Five years ago, we made a projection, financial projection. I like giving stories, not to put myself up, but because I believe it's good to be real. I can give you principles and you go home without a testimony. And without it, you're just going to go and put notes and slide them. So I want to give you stories that encourage you. Five years ago, we put a plan and we wrote our financial projections. I don't know if you've ever done that as a couple. Akara and I, we encourage every couple that we mentor. Uh, we've got a class called Couples and Money. We encourage couples to write their financial plans. Jerry, you've done, you've done the class, so you know that. We encourage couples to write your financial objectives and plan together. So we wrote five years ago a financial plan for the next five years. And it was, in our view, we, we left that meeting feeling, wow, 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 we have faith. What? I mean, the things we're trusting God to give us, the things we're planning to do, I mean, they were just going to be amazing if they happened. After writing that plan, Hill City happened. Uh, God gave Mavuno Church this land. We were at Bellevue at the time. And we found this land. 
And we, re we recognized it was going to cost a whole lot more money than we ever thought we could imagine. And so we started to challenge the church. I started to challenge the church to give towards this work. But I knew that I had to give myself because I can't ask people to do what I'm not willing to do. And God challenged Carol and I, our initial pledge, he challenged us to give a year's salary combined. So for those of you who are couples who are earning, just combine your year's salary and like the whole amount and to give it as our pledge towards this. Of course, we didn't have that money. Of course, we didn't have that kind of reserve. But we decided to make a decision. We made a decision that we will honor God. So we put aside our financial plans. How many years? Five-year projection. We said, we don't have five years now. We're just going to do God's thing. And the first month, we gave our two salaries. And the next month, we gave. If I could tell you the stories of God's provision over that time, it would take a full sermon. And I don't have that time. But here's a couple of things that happened. Number one, God provided food for our family. We never lacked as we gave that money. Number two, we had friends who paid for Caro and I to go for a six-week holiday with our children. Some of you know this story. With our children to the U.S. and paid for us first-class accommodations for six weeks with an empty bank account. And in that time, one of my friends, one of our friends there gave us a Jerry, you're the one who likes cars. Sorry, I keep, I keep picking on you because I know you like things. I don't like cars, by the way. Um, I'm the kind of guy who, I, I don't even know the models of cars. I'm horrible when it comes to cars. I'm just, a, I'm a weird guy in that way because I know many guys here are just top gear people. Huh? So I was given, a, it was an, a, a 7 Series BMW uh, station, one of those big ones. Can you see how, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what it was. You press the button, the whole thing comes out. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You, those of you who know cars, you know what I'm talking Black gleaming gold. Uh, and it was just, I mean, one of those, you press the button, the cassette goes like this. You touch on like a button, it just comes on. Driving it in the streets of Los Angeles and saying, Lord, may there not be a newspaper journalist from Kenya in this town. Because I'm finished. My reputation is finished. Pastor of Mavuno spotted in Los Angeles driving a plane. <laughs> but I landed there and the guy said, this guy is yours as long as you're in this country. Drive it for as long as you need it. I mean, we stayed in first-class accommodations. Came back, and as we came back, uh, another friend bought tickets for my wife and I and paid for 20 days of holidays, 10 days in New Zealand and 10 days in Australia for the two of us after we put the kids in school. Are you the bank account is still where? Because you begin to understand somebody here that it doesn't take money to provide for you. It is divine provision, isn't it? God is a powerful God. We came back, and I'm telling you, the end of the story, I need to fast forward this story because of time. The end of the story is that God not only gave us the cash to give all that pledge to Mavuno Church, and we were so happy to finish that pledge. But in addition to that, he also gave us a guest house. Cash. He gave us a guest house, 11-bedroom guest house. We'll be advertising it at the Soko, by the way, uh, and we'd love for you to come and stay there. He gave it to us. We own it without any debt. And he gave us... Okay, should I just stop? I should be real, huh? God made us wealthy. Let me just say that. I remember being so embarrassed with my wife because I was called soon after that to come and teach about money and being a good saver, being a good giver, the things I teach. You know the things past time teaches. And I just remember telling her, I can't even teach this stuff because God has so exceeded it that it doesn't, I mean, it's, it's like, yes, this stuff works. It works. But oh my goodness, my God is my provider. I've come to understand that with all my heart. And I'm saying this, that when you choose to be a firstborn, when you choose to look after God's business, God looks after your business.
Somebody in the house say amen. I think you can give a big hand to the Lord to that. He does. So imagine with me now as I speak that God is in the business of raising kingdom millionaires and billionaires across the earth. And he's looking for some firstborns who are going to say, Lord, I want to be a firstborn in your house. Any firstborns in the house today? Imagine with me that God is looking for them. The eyes of the Lord, the Bible says, are ranging throughout the earth, looking for those committed to him that he may strengthen them. And maybe God is looking right now. Imagine that there's somebody here who will support 10,000 children across this country and feed them until they're out of, out, of, out of danger and they've gone through school because you provided a feeding program. Imagine there's somebody here who will take 1,000 children through high school and pay for them, you and your children and your wife, not a government, not the county bursary scheme, your family bursary scheme will bless many children and they will call you blessed. Imagine there's a business owner here who will raise up many small businesses, train up many young people into business, and you will release them, and you create business titans because of the knowledge God has given you to be a blessing to the young generation. Imagine there's a media owner here who will harness the power of the airwaves and create media channels that will employ young people and produce positive content because our nation needs it. Imagine that God is looking around for people to entrust his wealth for the sake of his kingdom. And imagine that there's some firstborns in the house right now who are saying, Lord, I receive this. Lord, I receive this. I know my time is up, Pastor Jerome. But I want to read a word. Where's my phone? Can I read you guys an SMS I got this morning? Let me just read you something real quick. Huh? This was a word. God's been giving me some interesting words recently. And this was not even part of my sermon. But there's a word that somebody sent me that concerns this message. In fact, the title of the message, this is a person who goes to Mavuno Church, doesn't come to Hill City, but gave me this word and said, Good morning, Pastor M. I pray you're well. As I was praying this morning, God led me to share this word concerning Mavuno. This was this morning. Isaiah 54 verse 13. Then all your sons and daughters will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their prosperity. He said, read this in context because the previous verses in Isaiah speak of God restoring and rebuilding an afflicted people. And he says, God, and, and this person said, God says that through the teachings of this month, he himself is restoring the fortunes of the sons and daughters of Mavono Church. There will be a tangible shift in the lives of all members of this congregation who respond in faith to this message. God says that Mavuno is leading, is, is going to play a part in the revival in this nation. But this will be a tangible revival, a restoration of our economy through our people receiving God's power to create wealth. And I pray that you will be encouraged and receive this word in faith, for it will bear much fruit in your lives and the life of the entire Mavuno congregation. And this person ended by saying, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as they receive this word of God, they will have faith to move the financial mountains in their lives. May God continue to confirm his word with signs and wonders following. Amen. Somebody say amen. <laughs> I had a chat with somebody this morning and they asked me, Pastor M, I've heard your messages, but something has not been there because I've heard you teach about money, but I've, I get psyched for a month and then I go back and I do the same things I was doing. And this person said, we need a supernatural breakthrough. We need something to shift our minds because somehow we keep getting back into slavery when God wants us to be free. I believe that a season of, 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 of God's supernatural breakthrough is coming in this church. Because I've reached there as well. I've said, God, it's not knowledge we need now. It's your spirit allowing us to apprehend by faith the things you have for us. 
I believe that this church needs to go into a season whereby faith we begin to receive the, God, the things that God has for us. And that's why this series is very different from other series I've preached in the past. In the past, I've taught you how to make wealth. In this series, I want to teach you how to think about wealth. Because unless you think right, you will never make right. Right? 